Tonight I want to talk about, really to begin the series tonight on on does God heal today with the characteristics of biblical healing. In other words, what actually happened when God healed in the Bible? There are a lot of books published today on divine healing. The book I want to quote from now, and I do want to quote uh, from a, a little a paragraph from the book entitled, You Have Healing Already. Quote, If you are truly born again and have Christ dwelling within you, you already have healing within you, for healing is in Christ. You could not receive the Savior without receiving the healer, for they both are the same person. Isaiah 53 teaches that we have Christ, and we are already healed. Therefore, although you may now be suffering pain or other appearances of sickness, if you have Christ within you, you are already healed. That is, you already have within you the source of all life and health. If life is in Christ, if healing is in Christ, and Christ is in you, then life and healing are already within you. End quote. Now that paragraph expresses much of what is being taught today. The issue tonight is not, does God heal today? Because there is no question among most of us that we do believe that God does heal miraculously and supernaturally. We have even shared in that, maybe in our own life. The real issue is, is this. Is there a four-square gospel which sees Jesus as Savior, Sanctifier, Healer, and Coming King? Is Jesus as healer as much of the gospel as Jesus as Savior? Is healing in the atonement? Is it God's will that every believer be healed? Does Jesus want everyone well in the biblical sense? Now those who believe in atonement healing, that is that there is healing in the atonement, have two arguments. The first is that we know that Jesus healed the sick while He was on earth. And isn't Jesus the same today, yesterday, and forever? And the second argument is, if the the apostles performed miracles of healing after Pentecost, are we not in the same Pentecostal dispensation as they? It is true that Hebrews 13.8 does say that Jesus is the same today, yesterday, and forever, and we believe that. So isn't it logical to assume that what Jesus did then, He does today and on the same basis? To answer that question, is that true or is that not? We must compare biblical healing with present-day understanding. And that's what we'll do in tonight's discussion. Now, I want to read these two verses of Scripture from Matthew because they kind of summarize the public ministry of Jesus with regard to healing. And Jesus was going about in all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness among the people. And the news about Him went out into all Syria, and they brought... 
To him all who were all taken with various diseases and pains, demoniacs, epileptics, paralytics, and he healed them. Now the word healer appears over 70 times in the New Testament. And you can't give a casual reading to the New Testament and not see that healing was a vital part of the ministry of our Lord and of His disciples. But what are the characteristics of biblical healing? Now if you've got an outline, I've already made it easy for you. You've got it there. and just You might want to take some notes in between the little points. You might not. I hope you will. Number one, the diseases that Jesus cured were incurable diseases. The majority of those diseases that He cured are still incurable. We would call them organic disorders. Now, there are functional disorders and there are organic disorders. Functional disorders are functional disorders, as the name implies, like backaches and headaches and things that can be healed with the natural processes of the body. Organic disorders, on the other hand, are like crippled legs, or blind eyes, or leprosy, or cancer, or palsy. And these are all miracles of divine healing that Jesus performed. And since it was impossible for these people to recover from these incurable diseases, when Jesus healed them, it was no, there was no question about the fact that a divine miracle was being performed, or was performed. And these people who say that probably they were just the result of some psychosomatic illness, that's a, that's a bunch of garbage. They were cured of incurable diseases. Second, Christ healed with a word or a touch. The only time that He ever used an aid was when in the ninth chapter of John He used clay in the healing of the blind man. That's the only time he used an outside uh, uh, source. Now, why he did that, there is no explanation. Perhaps he healed using the clay just to show that he was not bound by some way of healing, that he could heal any way he pleased. But in all other instances of his healing, he healed just with a word or with a touch. In many cases... He wasn't even present at the time of the healing. For example, the centurion's servant and the nobleman's son. All right, third. He healed, <coughs> he healed everyone who came for healing. I don't, I'm, my voice is not changing. I'm out of puberty, but <laughs> I did. I, he healed everyone who came for healing. Now listen to me carefully. There is not a single instance of anyone coming to Jesus and going away unhealed. Now there are no failures of healing because of a lack of faith. Yet today, everyone, for everyone who receives healing, there are thousands who come for healing who are not healed. And the explanation given most of the time is that they lack faith or they don't have enough faith or that there is some sin in their life preventing God from healing. But you'll never find that in the Gospels. 
Now, if Christ is still, still healing today like He healed in the gospel's time, what is the explanation for this? For Jesus healed everyone who came for healing, whether they were believers or not. Now, that leads me to point four. Point four is this, that Jesus healed with or without reference to faith. Now, while many of the healing miracles were in response to faith, we cannot conclude that He made faith an indispensable requirement for healing, for He did not. Now, it seems that we have assumed, always do we assume, that the essential requirement for healing is faith. But how often did folks come to Him who didn't have any faith at all and who did not express faith? For example, Peter's mother-in-law, he just walked in and healed her. The leper in Matthew 8, he just healed. The dumb man, that means deaf man, who was demon-possessed in the ninth chapter of Matthew. And the man with the withered hand. As a matter of fact, sometimes he healed or performed miracles on those or for those who had no idea there was a miracle about to be performed. Now hear me carefully here. When Jesus came to Bethany and Lazarus was dead and in the grave, He met Lazarus' sisters. Now they believed this about Jesus. They believed that on the resurrection day, Jesus would be raised from the dead. They believed that. That's pretty phenomenal. And they believed, secondly, that had Jesus been there when Lazarus was ill, He would have prevented His death but they had absolutely no capacity that Jesus could raise him from the dead or would. And it would be absolutely ridiculous for us to assume that Lazarus was anticipating that in faith, for how can a dead man have faith? See, So he performed miracles and he healed folks when they didn't even expect it was going to happen. The most notable example is found in the 22nd chapter of Luke. And these soldiers came into the Garden of Gethsemane at night. You remember that, to arrest Jesus. And Simon Peter whips out his sword, and he's going to be very courageous and protect the Lord. And he takes a swipe at one of the soldiers and cuts off his ear. You know the rest of the story. Jesus just took the ear and restored it. Now, it's hard for me, folks, to believe that that man was a believer or that he had an ounce of faith. And what about the Gadarene demoniac, the maniac? He was healed over his own protest. And the example in Acts 3 of the man who was healed at the temple gate, he wasn't expecting to be healed. As a matter of fact, Peter says to him, Look at me, man. Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I to thee. In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And he was healed, not expecting to be healed. He was wanting money. Now, here's the, here's the truth that Jesus healed some who were not expressing faith in order to be healed, and He healed some because of the faith of others. Example, the centurion's servant. Now in Matthew 8, the centurion came to Jesus and he said, My, my servant is ill and you're a great man, all you got to say is just be healed and he'll be healed. 
And Jesus said, I've never seen such faith in, in all of Israel. And He healed the centurion servant, not because of the servant's faith, but because of the centurion's faith. And you remember when they let that man down through the roof? It says that because of the faith of these colleagues, when Jesus saw their faith, He healed that man. And I remind you of, of a familiar verse of Scripture in the fifth chapter of Acts. It says, If any is sick, let him call for the elders of the church, and they are to pray, and the prayer of faith shall save the sick. Now, He's not talking about the faith of the sick. He's talking about the faith of the man who prays for the sick. Now that's a crucial point. Because it seems to me that in some cases we use lack of faith as an escape hatch. And there are these people who pray for the sick and when they're not healed we say, we say well, they just didn't have any faith. But I've never heard the prayer... Are you hearing me? I've never heard the prayer say that that person was not healed because of the lack of my faith. You know what I'm saying? And even those who are healed with reference to their faith, it is always made clear that that faith was imperfect, for there is no perfect faith. In the 17th chapter of Matthew, the lunatic's father came to Jesus and asked him to heal his son, and Jesus said, all things are possible if you will only believe. And the man said, I believe, help thou my unbelief. So that there was faith, but there was also doubt. Now there are only a few exceptions. Everyone who came to Jesus came with an imperfect faith, and yet Jesus performed the miracle. Are you still with me? I see about two of you that are. All right, now, we'll, uh, all right, hang in there. Number five. Here is a crucial and critical point. Jesus healed instantly, immediately, and completely. Put that down and underline it. Jesus healed immediately, instantly, and completely. When Jesus or the apostles healed... It was instant, it was instantaneous, it was complete. For example, the woman with an issue of blood said her immediately, after 12 years she'd been with this hemorrhage, immediately the hemorrhage dried up. Now hear me, listen carefully. There is never an example where a person was healed and yet did not know that he was healed. Nor... Is there an example of a healing and then a later revelation of that healing? There is no example that I know of of a progressive healing. Or the fact that we're healed but we still have the symptoms and later on the symptoms disappear. The lame man at the temple got up immediately, leaped and jumped. There are no preparation periods where a person makes out a sin list and prepares himself to be healed, nor are there follow-up practices to ensure healing. Now I want to quote from the same book I quoted from just a minute ago. Listen, quote, Turn a promise of healing into an affirmation and keep declaring it until you're fully convinced of its reality, until you believe it in your heart without wavering, and you will see that your symptoms will disappear. 
Repeat such affirmations aloud. Spend five to ten minutes a day affirming aloud these declarations and you will find that they are true and His resurrection life will be manifested in your mortal body. Your symptoms will pass away. They will vanish in direct proportion to the clarity and strength of your faith. The moment your faith is perfect, that moment you will be completely delivered. Now the point that disturbs me about that statement is this is that you get healing, but you got to do those things that keep it. And if you waver and your faith is not perfect, you lose it. That disturbs me greatly. Now, I'm going to say this as kindly as I can. I don't want to get any arguments, get in any arguments with anybody. There's not one ounce of scriptural basis in that advice. This idea that we have been healed, but we have still have the symptoms, is a man-made invention. You might be saying, well, what about that passage in Hebrews that says we must hold fast the confession of our faith? Folks, there are three times when the book of Hebrews says that. We must hold fast the confession of our faith. But, folks, remember what we said this morning. You can't just take something out of the context... The context of that book of Hebrews is that these people are being persecuted and they're threatening to to abandon their faith. They're in danger of apostatizing. They've been beaten and whipped enough. And they're about ready to back out on God and walk away from their faith. And so uh, the author of the book of Hebrews says we must hold fast the confession of our faith. It's not a confession for healing. There has never been anyone in the Bible who has been healed and who continues to have the symptoms. Now, two things we can say about this. I question the value of a healing when the symptoms continue in the first place. I mean, if I got the healing, I still got the symptoms. What is the value of the healing? And number two is that it never happened in the Bible. I'm healed in my body and I just don't know it yet. What about this claiming something so I can have it? I'm not saying that doesn't work. In some cases, with such functional disorders that we talked about, it does work. I believe in the power of the mind, and I believe in faith healing. And I believe that there are things that positive thinking can bring about, just as sure as I believe that there are illnesses that negative thinking can bring about. You can tell yourself enough and certain functional disorders will be healed, but that's not divine, miraculous healing. It's the natural healing that is brought about by the use of the mind. And you say, well, I've tried it and it works. Well, great. But this this idea that you have to have enough faith to be healed, how much do you have to have? I've had enough faith to be saved. Now, let me ask you this. And I'm I'm not trying to be... Cute? Does it take more faith to be healed than it does to be saved? I've got enough faith to be healed. I mean, to be saved. See? In fact, Jesus asked, Which is harder to say, Rise up and walk, or thy sins be forgiven thee? Let me tell you what it took Jesus to heal. It took a word or a touch. You know what it took in order for us to be saved? His death on the cross. You see? Now, if he doesn't, this idea of a person has to keep on saying that he has faith, well, that's not the way a father treats a son. 
If my son were drowning, my daughter were drowning, and I came up to rescue them, I held out my hand and said, Now, wait a minute. Do you, I see your faith wavering a little bit. Do you have perfect faith? I see your faith wavering. I'm going to go ahead and let you drown. And you say, That's a ridiculous illustration. It's not any more ridiculous than this, what I've just said. Or what some people use as illustration. Some people have gone overboard on the matter of confession and the power of words. All right, number six. Jesus raised folks from the dead, and so did the apostles. Now, if we're going to do exactly the same ministry that Jesus did, don't we need to include raising people from the dead? I mean, He raised dead people. People who were embalmed. Now, I've heard people say that I know, they knew of cases where somebody had been raised from the dead as a result of faith. I don't believe it. If that were true, then news would circle the globe and would be publicized everywhere that it happened. I don't believe that people are able to raise the dead. Sorry, I just don't believe that. All right, number seven. As a rule, here it is. Glad to hear those papers rustling. Is that on the back? Is that why we're... Okay. As a rule, Jesus discouraged... Hear me well. As a rule... Jesus discouraged, even forbade, publicizing His miracles. Isn't that amazing? He, in fact, the, the Gospel of Mark says that He sternly challenged them not to tell anybody. Now, there are all kinds of references in Scripture concerning that. The thing about that is that it is in stark contrast to modern-day practice. We immediately publicize those kinds of things, and it just gets headlines. And it seems like that ought to be the way it ought to be. I mean, if there is a miracle of healing, then we ought to publicize it. But Jesus said no. Why? Because of the chance. He knew, he knew human nature. Because of the chance that people would become overly excited and would get caught up in the earthly idea of the Messiah, that He was here for what He could do with what's on the earth. See? Now, did, Jesus didn't want the miracles to overwhelm the reason for His coming. You see, they, got, they were more caught up in the miracles... If they were more caught up in the miracles, they would not be able to see beyond the miracle. And that's the danger. Don't we get ex more excited about people getting healed than we do about people getting saved? I'm sorry, I'm afraid that's true. A friend of mine was preaching revival out in Oregon, and God came down in that revival, and they actually had a blind man healed of blindness. I believe it happened. This man came, he'd been blind for years, and in this revival service, this man was healed of blindness. In the same revival service, they had about 29 people saved. And he said, all I heard about for the rest of the week was not the 29 who were saved that night, but the one man healed of his blindness. Human nature is that we get so involved in the miracle that we fail to get beyond the miracle. And I said this morning, if a person came here in a wheelchair, had been confined to a wheelchair, and he got healed and was able to walk out, and a nine-year-old boy got saved in this service, we'd probably get more excited about the guy who was able to walk out than the nine-year-old. 
And yet, the salvation of our Lord is the most glorious thing that can ever happen to anybody. We don't get excited enough about that. It cost Him His blood. And the other, just His touch. Isn't that amazing? And it's interesting to note in the epistles, check me out if you want to, it's interesting to note in the epistles that what not one writer has one thing to say about a miracle that Jesus performed on earth. Not one of them called Him a healer. They called Him Savior. Not one of them mentioned a miracle of Jesus, nor talked about them. The significance of the miracle was to furnish supernatural evidence that Jesus was a Messiah, was the Messiah. It was a sign for then, but not a guarantee for now. Now, I need you to understand what I just said. It was a sign for then, not a guarantee for now. In other words, He may heal, and He might heal someone tonight in this service, and I pray that God, pray to God He would. But there, it's not a guarantee that He will heal now because He healed then. It was a sign for then and not a guarantee for now. A miracle, um, these miracles were marks of His messianic authority and they were to authenticate the apostolic message. Now the conclusion. God does extraordinary things in extraordinary times like the blessings of revival, etc., God does extraordinary things. And I have a feeling, I just have a feeling, that if God, and I don't understand it, we guys, some of us guys who pray together some, we've talked about uh, revival and how it happens. I, but I have a strong feeling that when, when, when a revival actually occurs and when God moves in to bring revival, we're going to see not just people saved, but people healed. I have a strong feeling about that. Because when God, when God does extraordinary things, they're the extraordinary blessings that occur in revival, etc. And those times that He does those that are to arrest the attention of the multitude and activate a trust or a commitment to the message that's being preached. And I think we have to conclude that what Jesus, what occurred in Jesus' day may or may not occur in our day, and Jesus is still the same yesterday, today, and forever. All right, now, summary. I think the summary of this would be this, that, that when we say that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, that, and, and therefore what He did then He should do now, and there, you know, he, he will do now, that we need to be very, very careful and understand what happened then. See? Because sometimes the reason we say that is because we really don't understand what happened then. And I want to try to conclude with this, that, that what I want to see in my lifetime, what I'd long to see in my lifetime before I die, I would. I, I long to see that that you know that when we come together, we anticipate and experience God doing everything He wants to do in our midst.
And, and the only reason I think that perhaps, you know, that doesn't happen is, that, is one or two reasons. And I've shared, I've asked, I've asked some of my deep, closest friends and people I believe who are, have the best walk with God. And, and we've come to this conclusion that some things God just does arbitrarily. He just sides. He has the right to do that. I'm just going to move into that place and I'm going to reveal myself and power and glory. Second thing, I think it... There's, there, it may be that some of us need to do a little repenting before God is free to do what He wants to do. You know, before we can praise God and get in this praise business, there's some repenting we need to do. You know what I'm saying? And and whatever else we can say about what Jesus did then, we need to say this that God would do a lot of things in our midst if He had more to work with. I mean, if we'd get our sin confessed and repent of that sin and place ourselves in a position for God to bless. That's the big issue. God wants to... I really believe that God wants to be known and adored and praised and worshipped by people with holy lives in Duran, America. Let's bow and pray. Father, I ask you now to speak to our heart concerning our own life, concerning the desire that you have for us as individuals in a church. Speak to our heart tonight. Father, let us hear your voice in this place. Because I pray in Jesus' name.